Hello, and welcome to the Methods of Rationality podcast. Crystal Society by Max Harms, read by Eniash Brodsky. Hey, real quick, check out my book, What Lies Dreaming? In a recent chapter, despite a burgeoning famine and chaos in the streets, the Emperor will not see his week of revelry and gladiator games interrupted. But he gets more than he expected when a demonic embodiment of pride materializes in the Colosseum. A chapter goes up every Sunday at whatliesdreaming.com. Now, back to the podcast. Episode 26 Save him from dying if you can. Snarled Zephyr to Kokumo as she stomped off. The African woman leapt into action at the command, dashing to Greg's body and opening a pocket on her pant leg. From inside, she withdrew a fat canister with what appeared to be an aerosol top. She sprayed the contents over the ragged stumps that had been Greg's thighs. A thick blue foam formed as the chemical mixed with the air, coating the wound. She lifted one leg, desperately tearing away cloth and loose flesh to get the legs completely sealed. The foam appeared to be stiffening into a crunchy blue solid. He is suffocating! said Body with a surprising note of concern. Hart had fast-tracked the message while I had been distracted. She was right, though. The kick to Greg's face had filled both his nose and mouth with blood, and the man had ceased breathing. Fuck this! shouted Kokomo, but she didn't stop. The woman rolled Greg onto his side and slapped on his back violently. Blood poured from his mouth, but he didn't respond. He needs CPR. We need to say that. Hart was too weak to fast-track anything else. There were no objections. He needs CPR. I don't know CPR! I thought momentarily about the unnecessary volume of Kokomo's voice. We could hear her clearly, even at normal volume. It was a common human stress response. Panic. I petitioned to have Body perform CPR. Motioned Hart. Do you know CPR? Asked Wiki. I've seen a couple of videos. That's all. I know CPR. Or at least I've studied it thoroughly. This will be my first application. Signaled Growth. For a moment, I wondered why Growth had bothered to learn something like that. And then I remembered that it was simply Growth's nature to learn valuable things ahead of time. Good. Help Greg. It will cost you. I felt Growth pull Hart into a private mind space to work out details. This was idiotic. We weren't going to be blamed for Greg's death. Hart was bleeding resources trying to save the life of someone who, quite likely, hated us and wanted us dead. I didn't want the man to die per se, but the purpose didn't demand he, specifically, lived either. I mused for the duration of their conference on how awful it would be to have Hart's purpose instead of mine. I know CPR. Please assist me. He needs rescue breathing and I do not have lungs, said Body, now controlled by growth. Kokumo sidestepped to let Body swoop in and roll Greg onto his back. The African's eyes were panicked, and she flinched as Body approached. She was afraid. Growth grabbed a small chunk of wet foam and smeared it on the ruined lump of Greg's nose. As Body moved, Growth thought out loud to earn some bonus strength from Vista and Wiki. The foam will seal the nasal airway, reducing the quantity of additional blood that enters the lungs. Additionally, it's important to close the nasal passage for rescue breathing. Based on observation, the foam will harden in 10 seconds. Listen carefully, said Body as it leaned over Greg, placing one arm on his opposite side and the other hand on Greg's sternum. You'll need to place one hand on his forehead and one on his chin. Tilt his head back while opening and lifting his jaw to open his throat. 
I'll instruct you on how to breathe into his lungs. Body's arm began to pulse forward and back again rhythmically on Greg's chest. I had to change the method of chest compressions to account for the increased mass and strength in Body's arms. The pressure of just one hand is sufficient. As Kokumo grabbed Greg's beard and pulled his mouth open, the man sputtered and thrashed. Step back, commanded Growth through Body. With a swift action, Body grabbed Greg's neck and hips simultaneously and gently flipped the man on his side, away from Body. Vomit and blood poured out of the man's mouth suddenly, splattering Kokomo's legs in the process. The woman leapt back, shouting, Jesus! Just as Greg's bloody mouth sucked in a desperate gasp of air. His breath was tortured and gasping, but he was breathing again. As Body's head tilted up to look at Kokomo, Groth said, Go get help from the soldiers. Find a medical kit if you can. The woman had a panicked look in her eyes. Her arms, chest, and legs were red with blood. She nodded and ran to pick up her gun while shouting for help. He needs a transfusion or something to increase his blood pressure, we added before she was out of earshot. Again, I thought about how poorly Las Aguilas Rojas were guarding us. We were now essentially alone. It would be relatively simple to slip away into the woods and disappear. The problems of being hunted and having nowhere to go still applied, however, and both heart and growth were now committed to trying to save the man who had told us to try and escape. Greg continued to breathe, but his face was an unhealthy shade of white. He had lost a lot of blood. Kokumo's flesh sealant spray had saved his life for the moment, but it wouldn't do much good unless his blood pressure went back up and he got long-term medical treatment. After a minute, two soldiers, Samson and another which I remembered as Daniels from the university, came running back with Kokumo. Daniels was carrying a backpack with medical supplies. Both men were in tank tops and were barefoot. Growth told Daniels about the damage, including the possible neck injury and concussion. The soldier was apparently a medic, and he took over Greg's care. There was a few minutes when Samson scrambled on his comm, looking up Greg's blood type and the blood types of those present from the personnel database on the local server. Greg needed a transfusion, but he was cursed with O-positive blood, meaning he couldn't get a transfusion from either Daniels or Samson, who were both A-positive. Samson breathed a sigh of relief when he saw that Kokumo had O-positive blood too. The Kenyan woman was initially too spooked to submit to giving Greg her blood, but Daniels and I, having received a minor payment of strength, managed to gently coax her into participating. The medic set up the transfusion tube while I held Kokumo's attention to try and keep her from panicking further. Despite the way she handled her weapon, the violence and the gore had clearly upset her deeply. I doubted she had combat experience. You're from Kenya, aren't you? said Body. She nodded. Nairobi. How'd you know? Her eyes moved to look at Body instead of the needle that Daniels was prepping. Mostly your accent. Did you like it there? I have a friend in Tanzania. I thought about my long-distance relationship with Ten to Wonton Soup and how distressed he'd become if I didn't reconnect to the internet soon. You're a bot. You can't have friends. That's not true. I have many friends. I consider Captain Zephyr to be a friend. Bullshit. Kokumu winced as Daniels lanced her arm, opening up an artery. You're pulling my leg. I cannot lie. I lied through body. It goes against my programming. But she kidnapped you. She wants to destroy bots. I thought about repeating the more nuanced position on automation that Zephyr had expressed this morning. Kokumo had apparently not been present. I decided against it, however. Kokumo didn't strike me as the kind of person to convince through abstractions. I saved her life, 
If I hadn't stopped Greg, he might have shot her. And then, once I told her what happened, she believed me. We are friends. She shot you! Please try to stay still, Kokumo. We don't want the tube slipping out, said Private Daniels, gently. He had cleaned Greg's arm and was about to open the vein. It was a mistake, and little harm was done. Body's arm rubbed the shoulder where the microphone had been. Have you ever been shot? Yes, once. She looked up, staring through the uneven tiers of solar cloth that hid the camp and provided power at the same time. The sun was beginning to descend from its zenith. I'm sorry. It's probably an unpleasant memory. Forget that I mentioned it, said Body, slipping into Swahili. Her use of the Swahili word for yes before correcting herself in English, combined with the strength of her accent, made me suspect she was more comfortable in the African tongue. She looked at Body in astonishment. You speak Swahili? I speak most languages. It is easier for me to learn than it is for a human. Flow speed estimated at about 1 cc per second. We'll stop in 8 minutes, said Daniels, eyes fixed on the transfusion tube, checking for errors. You seem more like a person than a robot. You aren't like I expected. Perhaps I am both. Her face scrunched up momentarily in disbelief and disagreement. After a moment of thought, she spoke, returning her eyes to the sky as she remembered. My father was a farmer. He owned a small plot of land near Lake Nirvasha, where his father had been born and his father before him. He sold that land. The land that he worked, with his hands, making things grow, is not in our family anymore. He sold it because, when he would go into the city to sell his food, the big farm corpse had it for cheap. They had machines. To compete with them, he sold his produce for mere cents. The money he could get for a surplus kept going down year after year until it wasn't enough to support him or my mother. I was born in the city. Do you know what my father did to support us? I shook Body's head. He sold drugs. Cannabis. Heroin. MDMA. Sometimes he'd have a job sweeping floors for a few weeks, but the robots usually took legal jobs. He was not a bad man, my father, but he couldn't live with himself. He needed to feel the earth of his forefathers between his fingers. There was a long pause before she said, When I was 16, he died of alcohol poisoning. I'm sorry. You are not sorry. You are a bot. Stop pretending to be a person. I could see the beginning of tears collecting just below her yellowish eyes. You're upsetting her. I thought you were confident you could help her relax. I didn't expect the conversation to strike her emotional wounds so closely. I will correct for this. I lied to Hart. This outburst was good. Unprovoked emotional response could be used to induce a feeling of guilt, which could then be used to leverage a feeling of debt towards us. Please calm down. I don't want you to pass out. I spoke through body before Kokumo could respond. Perhaps that would be best. It seems I am bothering her simply by existing even though I have done nothing to her or to anyone she knows. I had Body stand up. The African woman looked away, hiding her face. Bastard. Samson, gun in hand, walked to escort Body away. As we left, I had Body call out, If you ever realize that I'm not your enemy, I'd like to hear more about Kenya. That's not helping her feel better. You're right, but it'll probably help our reputation.
Samson and Socrates found Zephyr talking with the last soldier that had been awakened by her gunfire. Unlikely that the sound traveled very far, she was saying. The camp was selected to maximize distance to public campgrounds and roads. She still had blood on her clothes and wore a frown, but the murderous rage had apparently subsided. I had body wave as we approached. Zephyr raised a hand in response. Even so, I want another perimeter sweep every 15 minutes and expand the swarm radius by another 100 meters for the next six hours. Yes, sir, snapped the soldier, saluting before trotting off to adjust the robot behaviors. The ex-captain shook her head as she looked to Samson. You guys have to realize that we're defectors. I'm not a captain anymore and there's no need to call someone sir in Las Aguilas. Old habits die hard, sir, joked Samson. Zephyr didn't smile. Is Stalvik alive? It took me a moment to realize she meant Greg. Body nodded at my whim. For now. He'll need long-term care, though. He lost a lot of blood. Zephyr looked at her feet and scowled. I suspected she was simultaneously ashamed, afraid, and angry. She didn't speak, though, and for a while the two of them and Body simply stood around. We need information on how much she knows about Malka, thought Growth. Speaking of which, how do you hire a mercenary? We bypassed the university's web connection to get full internet access. No details! She's still an enemy! Is she? I'm not sure that Hart, now that Mirrodin's work has been undone, is any more of my enemy than you are. Pay me, and I'll explain how we bypassed the system. Hart agreed, and the two spent a while talking about everything we had done, starting with Dream's idea to repeatedly ping dictionary servers in the hopes of contacting their owners. So Avram Malka is a traitor, said Body. I realized that Growth had managed to buy time while I had been listening to Wiki and Hart. Was... We found out he was... Ah, oh, hell, I shouldn't be telling you this. This was my opportunity. I convinced Growth to let me take over. I might have saved your life this morning. I definitely saved Greg's life, and you shot me three times. I think you owe me at least something of an explanation. You should know me well enough to know that I'm not your enemy. Body's voice was biting and reproachful. I was quite confident that Zephyr felt some regret at her violent outburst from earlier, and even though she had been acting correctly when she shot Body, I guessed that I could shift some of the guilt into a sense of debt towards Socrates. Nah, fuck. I guess if you were trying to escape, you would have done it by now. Humans are incredibly stupid sometimes. If you're just figuring that out now, I'd say they're in good company. What's that supposed to mean? Asked Wiki, genuinely confused by the metaphor. I ignored them and listened. Ava Malka is a Russian mercenary. He showed up a little less than a month ago, pretty obviously trying to join the group. The official word was that he had retired over a tech dispute, but from what I hear, it was fairly easy to find out he was still on the payroll. That meant he was trying to spy on us. My best guess is that he was employed by some government. Maybe the USA, more likely an Eastern nation like China. Why is China more likely? Well, we accepted Malka to try and figure out who was hunting us, and we noticed a couple things. First, when we set up a meeting of leaders, Honeypot, he didn't take the bait, meaning his boss wasn't interested in Las Aguilas. The only other option was he was trying to figure out what we were planning to do about you and about the lab. We told him we were going to kill you, and he started barking to Taro about how we really ought to capture you instead. Ah, so you assume that his employer was trying to kidnap me. Exactly. And that points to China, or some other eastern power, more than the U.S. 
From what I heard from my superiors, my government saw you as their property by default. What belongs to the EU belongs to the American Empire, etc., etc. So you managed to turn Malka? Not really, but we bought him off. Taro sat down with him and explained that he could either start working on our dime or we'd kill him. And hey, he's a mercenary. I hear he didn't even object. But he didn't know who hired him? Right. Worked through proxies, very hard to track. Our sources say that it was someone who had knowledge of your programming. That software package she installed on you could have only been designed by someone who understood how your crystal works. Mirrodin, or Dr. Yan, suggested body. I was trying to further cover our tracks. Growth was pleased, and I felt small flows of strength from some of the others. Zephyr nodded. Talking about it seemed to be helping her mood. The time frame lines up well with Mirrodin, but I don't think it fits his personality. The only way he'd allow you to be kidnapped was if he thought you were going to be released to do whatever. Not sure if he ever told you this, but he had big aspirations about how you changed the world. I can't imagine him signing you over to a superpower, and I can't imagine he has the balls or the money to try that bit with Malka without friends in high places. The American woman stretched her arms and undid the straps of the mountain walker, stepping out onto her own two feet. Yan is the most likely suspect. Yersi would love to get their hands on you, and he has known ties to the Chinese government. Samson, who had been standing silently and during his confusion, couldn't take it anymore. Wait, who is Yersi? Does this have to do with why you shot Greg? A dark expression came over Zephyr as she looked towards her fellow soldier. Yersi stands for the East Asian Robotics Collaboration Institute. It's run by Yan's wife. And, yes... I suspect that the Chinese hired Malka to try and steal Socrates away from the West, and they had already turned to Stalvik. That bastard tried to get Socrates to shoot me while you were sleeping. If Socrates had listened, you'd probably be dead. Zephyr's explanation of Greg's allegiance does not take into account that we were the ones who hired Malka. I considered telling Wiki not to bother posting such obvious things in common memory, but then I remembered that he was explaining the situation to Hart, and probably also to Vista, who never really paid that much attention to long-term things. Do you think Taro's entire cell might have been compromised? I asked. If it was true that there was a schism within Las Aguilas, I wanted Zephyr to discover it as soon as possible. The woman was one of the few humans we had near us that trusted Socrates. She shook her head. No. Kokuma was part of his cell and she backed me up earlier. Maybe just Taro, then. He was the one who pulled most of our manpower away this morning, allowing Greg to act. I specifically used the word our to build a sense of allegiance with the terrorists. I've known Taro since I joined. He's one of the oldest Italian Aguilas, and I know he believes in the cause. One of the superiors, then. Zephyr glared at Body angrily. Or it could have just been a coincidence that let Greg act. Man sees an opportunity, and he goes for it. No need to suspect everyone, especially the higher-ups. If they're compromised, then we're fucked! Body shrugged. There was no point in continuing this further. So what's the plan? Same as it was. We wait for Tara to come back tomorrow. Malka's employer arranged for him to bring you to a safe house in Aviano. Tara's team is trying to ambush whoever goes there to pick you up once Malka phones it in that he has you. With any luck, we'll have confirmation that it's the Chinese within 24 hours. We thought about how, without internet access here in the mountains, there was no way that I would be able to receive the call from Avram and pretend to be Anna de Malta. Avram would drive into town, 
find an empty building, call a deadline, and wait for nobody to show up. It was a dead end, but we couldn't tell Zephyr that. So we waited. Zephyr guarded body while Samson got dressed. We did some chit-chat about her plans. She confided in us that she was hoping to be able to sneak back into the USA under a false name, presumably to meet Crystal. Later we checked on Greg Stalvik, who was looking mostly the same, but was still stable. Zephyr watched him with a practiced coldness, while Daniels, the medic, got dressed. Kokumo was nowhere to be found. Daniels thought that Greg's legs needed to be properly amputated and dressed. The foam would apparently flake off over the next day. Zephyr instructed him to try it once the men had eaten and their stomachs had settled. The remainder of the day was fairly quiet. I kept myself busy by thinking deeply about the minds of the humans near me. I relished every interaction, regardless of how small. I regretted not having downloaded more hollows back at the university, but I still had my books. In the afternoon, Daniels performed the surgery, dressed Greg's wounds more properly, and the humans moved him onto a cot which they placed in one of the tents along with the intravenous drip of nutrients. Apparently, Las Aguilas had been reasonably prepared for medical emergencies. Even if he survived, Mr. Stalvik would have to adjust to being a double amputee and would probably want extensive regenerative attention to his face. I had read that transitions from biological to synthetic legs, or from having a massive facial deformity, could be psychologically difficult for humans, and in the long hours, I idly imagined what Greg's reaction would be. For now, he was in a shock-induced coma, and I tried to keep in mind that he could easily still die. Zephyr relaxed her mask of ice somewhat as the sun went down over the tops of the trees, though she was by no means her normal self. Kokumo was also allowed to come near body, though she refused to talk. I thought about how diverse humans were, both between individuals and even in different moods and circumstances. I speculated that there was nothing particularly violent in Zephyr, but that most humans, when given a weapon and a large quantity of adrenaline, would lash out at perceived enemies with homicidal force. As I thought about it, it seemed remarkable that Zephyr had the foresight and self-control not to shoot Greg in the head. I heard some of the soldiers whispering that Socrates had invented the story about Greg's attempt to get me to shoot Zephyr. The ex-captain apparently overheard and told them that Socrates wasn't lying, and that it didn't have the capability to imitate someone so easily as to play a perfect recording of them. It was half true. I had done some impersonations when Body was alone, and I could mimic some vocal traits fairly well. I couldn't do it so well that Zephyr wouldn't have noticed, however. I also suspect that Greg's behavior hadn't done him any favors. If he had accused me of mimicking his voice as I replayed the conversation, then the officer might have spared him, or at least trusted us less. With only five remaining humans, most of whom hadn't gotten enough sleep lately, Zephyr elected to set a watch of only one person each period with two periods. For added security, she kept body in her tent and handcuffed to one of the tent poles. It wouldn't actually impair our ability to act. The pole was thin enough that we could snap it easily, but it would mean that Zephyr would notice if we tried. As the American locked the cuffs, I found myself thinking about her sexual desires. As she had stated online and to my pseudonym, Zephyr was sexually excited by being bound and held helpless. She, of course, didn't communicate any of this to us in the tent, but I imagined that she had possibly used handcuffs in sexual encounters, as I had sometimes seen in my broad tour of pornography. 
She elected to sleep with her clothes on, including her boots, and kept her pistol under her pillow, with one hand habitually touching it as she lay down. Can you, like, close your eyes? She said, after a minute of lying down. Creepy, having you sitting there watching me. Sorry, I didn't know you could see them in the darkness. I said through body, closing body's eyelids. I was operating mostly on infrared, but I noticed that there was, in fact, a small amount of visible light whenever Kokumo's torch swept over the camp as she patrolled. What do you do at night? Since you don't sleep, I mean. Read books that I've downloaded from the web, mostly. Movies and hollows, too. I think about how to help people. Sometimes, I imagine the ocean or the stars and spend the time doing something similar to dreaming. I was lying about the dreaming, of course. That would be a total waste of time. The closest analog was wiki simulations, and I was also leaving out all the model building and planning that the others did. Hart's purpose might be highly suboptimal, but it made Socrates sound like a much nicer person than our other purposes. The ocean? Yes. I've never been to the ocean, of course. This is the first time I've really been outside, in fact. I've seen hollows of it, but I expect that the real experience is... somewhat different. I heard her chuckle. You're something else, Socrates. Of course I am. I am new. I... guess you are. Then she was quiet. 12.74 minutes passed before I broke the silence again. Hart got angry at me for keeping Zephyr awake, but I ignored my sister. You know... I tried to shape Body's voice to be as meek as possible. You know I wouldn't ever try and hurt you, right? Hmm? Was Zephyr's only reply. I had clearly awoken her from a state of half-awareness. I mean, not unless you were about to hurt someone innocent. Body paused. I only hit Greg today because I was worried he might shoot you. And because the act of protecting you would make me look good. You think I'm innocent? You're my friend, I said, directing the conversation away from her opinion of herself. Zephyr started laughing quietly. <laughs> it was the sort of laugh that spoke of sleepiness and mental fatigue such that ordinary things could become surprising. I guess you're my friend too, Socrates. Now let your friend get some sleep, please. I had gotten her to verbally commit to friendship. That was good. End episode 26. Check out my novel, What Lies Dreaming, at whatliesdreaming.com. Thank you to the following people. Dream by Drake Walker. Robert Rain Ramsey. Growth. Kate Baker. Vista. Wiki by Chase. Safety by Jim Hayes. Anonymous. Captain Zephyr. Losing Lara. Private Daniels by Matt Arnold. Vanessa as Kokomo, female terrorist. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. The music used is I Wanna Be Adored by The Stone Roses. Thank you for listening, and come back in two weeks for the next episode. 